0: Well, we're in the book of Galatians. We've been looking at kind of the backstory for the book of Galatians. Paul, on his first missionary journey, went to the area that we think of as Galatia, uh, Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, those little towns, cities, and uh, he preached the gospel there, and he preached them to uh, Jewish people and to uh, pagan people, people who worship Zeus and uh Hermes and all of the pagan gods and and he preached just the simple gospel of the grace of God. He just went there and he told them, God loves you people and he does not want your performance. He doesn't want your religious activity. He wants you to love him and trust him and he loves you so much <clears throat> that he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross and he died for your sins and then God raised him from the dead and he lives forever. And now everyone who will put their faith and their trust in him and receive his grace and love him back and trust him will be saved. Saved, saved, saved. Yeah, I love that song. In fact, I just almost stood up and shouted a couple of Bible verses while we were singing that uh, uh i'll do that next time we sing that song you remind me but uh uh and and these people they they heard that gospel they said you mean you mean we don't have to the jewish people they said you mean salvation is not in the law it's not in in keeping all those do's and don'ts and religious observances and eating certain foods and not eating certain foods and And uh, being circumcised and, and all this kind of stuff. You mean that salvation is not in that? And Paul said, no, it's not in that. The law cannot bring salvation. The law actually brings condemnation. The law tells us that we've fallen short of what God has for us. But grace... Says that God, what the law could not do, Jesus did for us, and you trust Him. And some of these Jewish people said, well, "That's that's liberating. That's that. I've never never heard such a, a message. We've lived in bondage all of our life. We've lived in bondage and and in discouragement and." try as hard as we could try, we never could measure up. And now you're telling us that we can by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, be saved and have our sins forgiven, have our hearts changed. He says, that's right. And they got excited and they believed. And then these pagans Gentile people who didn't have the background of the law, they said, you you mean all this stuff we've believed about all these Roman gods and all the Zeus and Mount Olympus and all that kind of stuff, none of that's true? Paul said, no, it's not true. There is one God. Amen. and And that God loves you. And He's not, you don't have to appease Him. You don't have to... You don't have to jump through all the pagan hoops to please him. You don't have to offer all these sacrifices. He has provided the sacrifice. And, and some of them believe. So here you had Jews and Gentiles who have <clears throat> stopped trying and have started trusting in Jesus. And they're, they're together in these little groups called assemblies or churches and uh, and and Paul uh, appointed elders in each of the churches to kind of lead and teach and help them and, and then Paul makes his way back to Antioch where he had started from or to Jerusalem then back up to Antioch <clears throat> and then the next thing you know he gets a message somebody said Paul you're not going to believe what's happened in those new churches you started right after you left some people who are law keepers and law worshipers, showed up at those churches where you preached grace and they're telling those people that there is no salvation by grace, that they have to become Orthodox Jews. They, the men have to all be circumcised they have to change their eating habits they have to start wearing certain kind of clothes they start having to keep all the law and and that's that's was bad news in itself but then whenever they said well who told you that you could be saved by grace alone and they said well there's this fella named Paul and now they're saying Paul is nothing. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul is making all this stuff up. Paul is a renegade. He is a charlatan. He is a he he's a deceiver. And those people are so confused. And some of them are actually saying, "Well, I, you know, it sounded too good to be true." But I guess maybe it was too good to be true. So they. They've started going back into their old ways of trying to please the gods or please God through rituals and ceremonies and saying that, well, I guess faith is not enough. And Paul writes them a letter. And it's the first letter, as far as we know, it's the first letter that Paul wrote that's in the Bible anyway, and it's the letter to the Galatians. And he starts it off, said howdy, and then he just doesn't get a howdy out until he is saying, I can't believe you folks. What in the world is wrong with you? How is it that you are so quickly turning away from the gospel of grace that I preach to you and going back into legalism and uh, trying to, to please God by your performance rather than by Christ's performance? And so he spends those first few verses in chapter 1 explaining the gospel again. And he said, I just want you to know, if anybody preaches another gospel, there is no other gospel, honestly, he says, but if anybody comes to you, even if I were to come back to you and preach some other gospel, or even if an angel from heaven came and preached some other gospel, like he did to Joseph Smith, and uh founder of mormonism if if an angel from heaven preaches some other gospel let him be accursed, let him be sent to hell, let him come under condemnation so he says now that's he said now am i trying to you sound like I'm trying to please men the these these uh Jewish leaders had come over and said oh Paul is just a man pleaser he's just preaching to you he's just trying to please men so Paul says in verse 13 "That am I now seeking the approval of man or of God if I'm trying to please man I wouldn't be a servant of Christ so and then he uh, he begins to deal with their other accusation that he was not a true apostle of God. It's a serious thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cover the rest of chapter one, and not gonna preach much on it because I want to make a personal application at the end. But I, I do want to at least deal with the text here in uh, Galatians chapter one, <clears throat> beginning in verse eleven. He said, "I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel." that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This didn't come from, from, uh, from me. It didn't come from Peter. It didn't come from James. This is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, the message of the gospel that I preach to you, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, I received that message as a direct revelation from God himself, from Jesus himself, and I didn't get it from any man. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. He said, I used to be a Jew. I I mean, I was still a Jew. But he said, I, I, used to, I used to be a legalist just like these guys that, that are troubling you. And you, you've you heard how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He said, uh, I, I didn't keep this a secret. And it's not a secret. These people know, all these folks that have come talking to me, they know what I was like before I was uh, before I was genuinely saved, he said, I I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He said, I I started out in Judaism as a young boy. I was trained under Gamaliel, the leader of the Jewish uh, legalists, And I was so intense. He said, my whole life was dedicated to the serving the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone now I tell you about four sermons in that in those two verses right there but I'm not going to preach all four of them in fact I'll say those for another time but what he does say here he says before I was ever born the sovereign God had already determined that he had a purpose for me He knew that I was going to be a jerk, and he knew that he was going to save me and he knew that I was going to become an apostle to the Gentiles. All that before I was born. I want to tell you something. God had a plan for your life, not the day you were born, but before you were born. And I'll tell you right now, and I, just another whole sermon on, against abortion, but i tell you what, whenever people in America are justifying and legalizing the ending of human life before it's born or even the day after it's born. That's what they're doing now. They're messing with the gift that God gives, which is the gift of life. And I tell you, the yeah, amen. <clears throat> and the fact that you survived and that I survived And that we got here is by the grace of God and by the purpose of God. And Paul said, God who set me apart before I was even born and then called me by his grace. And just getting born didn't get you saved. You know that? Being born again gets you saved. And how do you get born again? It is by the grace of God. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. And I just, oh, I just want to preach on all these, but I, I want to get to a point that I want to make later in the message. And then when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, how, how does anybody get saved? You cannot argue anybody into salvation. You cannot even persuade them into salvation. You can witness to them. You can share the gospel with them, and that is what we do, but it is God who has to reveal salvation to them. God has to save them. I just, uh, over the years, I've witnessed to people. There was a, a barber here in Dallas years ago that I used to just, I'd go get my hair cut by him because he was lost and I wanted him to get saved and I knew his family and they wanted him to be saved and I would just go and witness to him and witness to him and I would tell him about Jesus and I would draw pictures and I would do all kinds of stuff and then I'd say, well, Jim, what do you think about that? And he'd look at me and he'd say, well, my daddy was a deacon. I said, well, we're not talking about your daddy and we're not talking about deacons. I'm t- what do you think about this? Well, my grandmother was, uh, and I think, he's so dumb. I, he, he didn't even know what we are talking about. And I tried and tried, and, and even when we moved off to t- Tennessee, he was one of the last people that I went to see, and I said, Jim, just, I want you to be saved. And he just looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Just couldn't figure out what I was even talking about. And I felt like I had failed because I wanted him to get saved. We hadn't been in Tennessee but about a year. He called me up one night. He said, Nick, I need to get saved. I said, hallelujah, you sure do. And, and he said, I'm give me your address i'm going to drive 500 miles to your house and so i can get saved i said well you can get saved over the phone no he said i want to do it right there in your living room and he drove to our house to make a long story short that night jesus revealed himself to jim day and he got saved that night and i just was so happy and and I, I, I just thought, you know, I tried for two years to show Jesus to him, and I couldn't do it. Why? Because lost people are blind, for one thing, but they're worse than blind. They're dead. I mean, a dead person's blind, too, right? And if a blind person you might be able to do some surgery on their eyes and, and help them see. But a dead person, you just can't open their eyes. But there is somebody who can. <laughs> God can open their eyes. And Paul says, you know what? I was, I was persecuting Christians. I hated everything they were teaching. I couldn't stand the name of Jesus and then, when it pleased God to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, that's how I got saved. And, friend, I want to tell you, we all have relatives. We all have, we were talking in Sunday school about relatives that don't believe in God, and they don't believe the Bible. We could we could argue with them. i met with a guy 2 weeks ago said he's just an atheist you know agnostic at, at best and i i went through all of the what we call apologetics with him explaining the gospel to him but all the time i'm sitting there in my office i'm 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 while i'm talking to him i'm saying jesus please open his eyes raise him from the dead i can't do it I don't have the ability. And he certainly can't do it. Only you can do it. And uh, now he, I wish I know it would be a great preacher story if I could tell you. And he got saved that day. He didn't. But I'm still praying for him. We're going to meet again. And I'm just praying, Lord, open his eyes. Reveal your son to him. And Paul says, when that happened to me, I didn't, consult with anybody I didn't uh, immediately go up and I didn't I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me in fact I went away this is verse uh, 17 I went away into Arabia that is out in the desert and I was there and and he's going to imply here and later in another place who's there for 3 years just out in the desert what do you think Paul was doing out in the desert for three years? I think he was rereading his Bible. He was going over all the stories in the Old Testament, we call the Old Testament, and saying, Well, look at there, Jesus is here. I never saw it. And that that sacrificial lamb sacrificed on the Day of Atonement, well, that's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? Well, that that ram caught in the thicket. When Abraham took Isaac up to that's Jesus, isn't it? And and he's just studying all the Bible again. It was just the Old Testament. He hadn't written the New Testament yet. And uh, and but he's studying all for three years. He said he studied and studied and studied. And then after that, I, I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Simon Peter, and I remained with him for 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And he said, In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. I'm telling you the honest truth. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. That's where Damascus, he went back. I mean, uh, Tarsus, he went back to his hometown. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Said the folks down in Jerusalem didn't even know me. They had never seen me face to face. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul says, that's my testimony, folks. That's what God did for me. And now why did he he give this testimony? Because he is wanting to validate the message of the gospel. He said, I preach to you the gospel, and you're wondering, well, who are you to tell us that we can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And he said, Well, I'll tell you who I am. And he gives this testimony of what he was before Jesus revealed himself to him, how it happened, and then how it changed his life. And you know, that's a Christian testimony. Do you have a testimony? Do you have a testimony? Every Christian as a testimony because we all had a life before Christ now in American churches today there's a little confusion because so many kids make professions of faith when they're five, six, seven, eight 8 years old which a lot many of you did that too And what happens at that time, generally speaking, is that they are giving acknowledgement to truth that they've heard. And many of them are genuinely converted at that age. Some are not. I was not. I made a profession of faith at age nine. Got baptized. During a revival meeting, I made a profession of faith Miss Hadley, the lady of the resident Holy Spirit in our church, sat behind me, and when the invitation was given, she leaned forward and told me it was time. And I thought, time for what? And she said, it's time for you to go down. And there was a girl sitting over close to me. Her name was Carolyn Webster, and she told her it was time for her too. So we both went down. And the preacher said, why have you come down? I said, well, it's time. <laughs> okay. Well, the next week I got baptized. But I want to tell you something. I, nothing happened in my heart during that at, at that time. I went uh, not out of fear of God. I went out of fear of Miss Hadley. and uh, And, I mean, I think I was sincere. I think I was genuine in the sense that I I went down front, shook hands with the preacher, told him it was time. And he, I don't know what he said to me. He may have shared the gospel. He may not have. But anyway, they baptized me the next week. And if you to asked me two weeks later or a year later, are you saved? I'd have said, sure, I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, I, I went down <laughs> and I got baptized and, uh, Miss Hadley said it was time. So, and if you had asked me when I was 15, when I was cussing like a sailor, excuse me to the sailors, uh, and when I was living ungodly in every way, if you had asked me, are you saved? what well, would I have said? I would have said, yeah, I'm saved. In fact, I might have even swore, cursed, and said blankety-blank, yes, I'm saved. Well, how do you know you're saved? Your language doesn't sound like you're saved. The way you're living doesn't look like you're saved. I would have said, well, because I joined the church when I was nine years old. I got baptized. Miss Hadley said it was time, and I'm a Baptist. And I believed it. But when I was seventeen, it pleased the Lord to reveal his Son in me. And he showed me one night that I was living for myself, not for him. That I was trusting in a walking down the aisle and getting baptized. I wasn't trusting in Jesus. I was trusting more in Miss Hadley than I was in Jesus. And by the way, I appreciate Miss Hadley. She's, She's a zealous lady. But that night, the Lord showed me that I'd never been saved. That my life was being lived In anger, bitterness, hatred, and emptiness. And it pleased the Lord to reveal His Son in me. And that night, my life changed. My life changed. Before Christ... I lived a certain way, thought a certain way, behaved a certain way. And when Christ saved me, all that changed. Now It's possible for a person today and many, many people today to say, well, I, I'm a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, because I go to church I joined the church. I got baptized. This and this and this and this. Okay. Nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that those do not make a person a Christian. The Lord has to reveal his son in us. I come to a place where I say, Jesus, I need you, I'm a sinner. I'm under judgment and wrath, condemnation. I must have a Savior. And I believe with all my heart that you died for me. And I trust you. And when that happens, when that's real, when that faith is real, our life changes Now, here's the problem. Most of us were not out killing Christians before we got saved. Most of us were not even out doing horrible stuff, taking drugs and getting drunk and running around, sleeping around. Most of us weren't doing those things before we got saved because... We grew up in more respectable circles. And, now, there's some of you used to do some of those things. But, so, when a person who's living a decent religious life gets saved, his outward behavior may not change a whole lot. But I want to tell you, your inward heart radically changes it radically changes now there are a lot of Christians and some of you would say this is your testimony you were saved when you were 10 years old or whatever you got away from the Lord when you got into the service or when you got into college or when you got into a job or whatever you got in with the wrong crowd and you got all messed up and you began to do horrible things And then at age 25 or 30 or whatever, God brought you to a place of brokenness. And you trusted him and he changed your life. Now people ask me, they say, well, was I saved when I was 10 and then just backslidden all that years? Or did I really get saved when I was 17 or 25 or whatever? And I say, I don't know. I don't know. I know it is possible for a person to be genuinely saved and backslide. The real question is right now is my hope and trust and faith and life in Jesus alone? That's really the question. I honestly don't remember when I was born. Do you remember when you were born? You were there. But you don't remember it, do you? But you know your birth date, right? Somebody told you, though. You wouldn't know it unless somebody told you. And I believe there are people who get saved or or make professions of faith, maybe get saved, and then later re- affirm their faith and I don't know which of those times they were really born again. Is that confusing to you? No? And do you know what? I might have gotten saved at age nine. I don't think I did but I might have. But I know for sure that I know for sure That my faith and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I know I trust him now. And when somebody comes to me and says, Well, I'm just not sure whether I'm really saved or not. Then I say, Well, then settle it today. Put your trust in him and him alone today. You know what I'd love? I'd love for everybody here to write out your testimony in a one-page, just, you know, don't take as long doing as I did this morning, but just before Christ, that is, before I was a Christian, here's what characterized my life. Here's what my life was like before I became a Christian. Number two how I became a Christian. It might have been in vacation Bible school. It might have been in a revival meeting. It might have been at home in your bed like it was for me. It might have been uh, somebody talking to you personally. Just here's how I came to Christ. Here's how God opened my eyes. Here's how God raised me from the dead. And then the third thing is since I've been saved, here's the difference that Jesus has made in my life. I have a new purpose. I have a peace now in my life. I have love that I never had before. I have a joy that is unshakable. You think about that for just a second. All of you are you thinking right now? Everybody thinking? Think before I was a Christian, what was my life like? Now you young ladies, you probably wouldn't say, Well, I was out getting drunk every night and I was beating up people and I was robbing stores. No, y'all probably hadn't done any of that, have you? No? That's good. I'm glad you hadn't. Now, there might be some folks, there are some people around here, not too far from where we're at now. They'd say, Yeah, that's, it. that's what characterized my life. I was taking drugs and getting drunk and beating people up and stealing. Let me tell you something. It does not take any more of the grace of God to save them than it does to save you if you've been a sweet, nice, decent person for all your life. And if you're not saved, you are just as much in need of salvation as that person out here who's robbing stores and killing people. That makes sense. So, think about your testimony. If somebody said, how can I believe the gospel that you share with me? You should be able to say, well, you believe it's true because God says it's true, but I want you to know changed my life I have a dear friend of mine in Memphis Tennessee Shad Williams Shad was a druggie he was a hippie he was a a bad person as Donald Trump said he was a really bad person he was a bad person and the Lord saved him just saved him it pleased the Lord to reveal Christ to him, and his life radically changed. He went back and started trying to share Jesus with all of his druggy friends, and they said, uh, "Well, Chad, we we know you. We want this religious stuff." What he said, "Oh, you don't know me. You know who I used to be. You don't know me." And he wrote a song called "You Can't Deny the Change in Me." You can't deny. He said, You might deny the Bible. You might deny that there's a God, even. But he said, You know me. And you can't deny the change in me. Another friend in Memphis, in fact, he passed away just a few years ago. His name was, his name was John Bramlett. Y'all might have heard of, Ronnie, y'all might have heard of uh, Bull Bramlett. He played football, he was uh, uh, the meanest football player I think anybody ever knew. He loved to hurt people. And he spent the night in nearly every jail and every town he played in because he 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 didn't just like to hurt people on the football field. He'd go to a bar and hurt somebody after the game was over. Everybody was scared of him. He was a little bitty fellow too. But mean, just mean. Bull Bramlett. Just type it in, Google it, and you'll get some there's some pictures of him hitting people so hard it hurts you to watch it. And John Bramley got saved. And I went to a meeting not long after he was saved. It was at an industrial sales place in Memphis. And there's a bunch of us there. And everybody was still scared of John Bramley. Everybody in Memphis knew him. It was just, everybody kind of tiptoed around him because he would pick a fight if he couldn't find one but after he'd been saved for just a few months I was at that meeting he was drinking a cup of coffee and somebody turned around and bumped into him and spilled that hot coffee on him and on the floor and that poor guy looked like Lord I'm coming home (laughs) I just knocked the coffee cup out of Bull Bramlett's hand and burned him with hot coffee My time is up. And John Bramlett got down on his knees and grabbed a napkin and started wiping up that coffee. And everybody just stood there. I just stood there watching him. I couldn't believe it. Here's Bull Bramlett on his knees wiping up coffee off the floor instead of using this man to wipe it up, you know. That's what everybody thought he would do. And when he got up, he said to the guy, it's okay, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. And everybody in the room was just still standing like this bull bramlet. And uh, Ron Young, who was over the meeting that day, said, uh, John, would you tell everybody why you didn't get mad and hit somebody? And John turned to all of us down there and he says, because Jesus lives in my heart now. Jesus lives in my heart now. And I going to tell you, your testimony, you may not have the testimony like Bull Bramlett, but everybody has a testimony. And you might not have been doing bad things, but you had an empty life. Somebody helped you come to Jesus, and Jesus revealed himself to you by his grace. And now your life is characterized by something different. And if that's not true, you need to be saved. You need to be saved. If you say, well, you know what? I'm not any different than I ever was. Then you need to be saved because Jesus makes a difference. Dead people are are not the same as live people. Blind people are not the same as sighted people. And lost people are not the same as saved people. And this morning, if you could just say, Jesus, have your way, have your way in my life. If you're not saved, you need to be saved today. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this testimony of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, his testimony gave credibility to his message. If there were no change in his life, then there would have been maybe no reason for some people to believe his gospel. But I know that's true in our life too. If there's no change in our life, then our message falls empty on deaf ears. And I pray today, if there's anybody here who has not let you, trusted you to change their life, if you have not revealed your son in them, that you do it today. And that they might say, Lord, have your way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. And may the Lord richly bless you.